Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to All the Things. This is the show where we discuss all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And we should see somebody right here. Our fearless co-host. There she is. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's a little different. Um, being away. There you are. Yes, I am. So are you going to introduce yourself, who you are? Well, I, don't, I didn't really know because you're severely delayed. Oh. So I wasn't sure when I was supposed to actually say something. Hi, I am Monique <laughs> Dusan. And I'm Chris uh, broadcasting remotely from Santa Rosa, California. That's right. I'm Krista Bontrager, also known as a theology mom and helping us on the show tonight and every week is Bob Bontrager. Yes. Woo. And um, we are not broadcasting on Facebook tonight. We're only on YouTube. We're having a little technical difficulty for whatever reason the stream wasn't being pushed to facebook so um if you have friends looking for us and they're they're messaging you tell them to come find us here on youtube so you can join us in the live chat uh tonight let's see if uh what's happening over there in the chat box hello everyone i don't know i don't see us in the box all right Okay, so our guest moderator tonight is Alicia Moss and Laura Hartley. Yay! Woo! Okay, so um, this is your opportunity for audience participation. Uh, You can chat with us on the chat box. Hit that like button. Make sure you're subscribed because uh, Facebook dumped, or not Facebook, YouTube dumped 300 of my subscribers the other day off my channel. So, womp, so womp. yeah, sometimes they uh, like to decide for you whether or not you're going to follow us. So go ahead and just check and make sure you've got those notifications turned on. Um, all right. Well, we're just going to get into it here tonight is um, ask us anything. So you can go on the chat box and it's sort of more open ended. We try to do these shows about once a quarter and they're always a lot of fun where people can just ask us their questions. So we will uh, see you in the chat box. You can share the show on your social media streams uh, while the questions are starting to come in. Monique, why don't you tell us what you're doing up in Santa Rosa? Um, I am, well, I was here yesterday and, or in, down in Sacramento and I spoke with a homeschool group. Bri- I believe it's called Bridgeway Homeschool Group. And it was about 40 kids and their parents trying to understand what in the world is happening in culture today. What's happening like with Black Lives Matter? Do I support this? Do I not? Why are my friends so angry? Um, They're calling me racist. And so I had good conversations with young people and just explored 
what is called critical race theory with them and why they're seeing such division in their friend groups, what's what why they're seeing such division in America as a nation. And yeah, began to kind of dive into some of the questions that they're having that they don't have a chance to express all the time, which was good feedback for their parents to know how to reach in and have conversations with their kids. Well, let's so, talk about that. I want to talk about that and unpack a couple things real quick, because um, even though these are homeschool kids, they had heard enough of the narrative from their peers that as as white kids, they were kind of feeling should we say a sense of shame or uneasiness about their ethnicity? Um, tell us, you know, do I understand you correctly on that? Yeah. So it was, there's definitely shame and uneasiness and also just questions. You know, I think that when you're young and you're looking at the world, it can be very confusing. You know, and so now I don't know why everyone is so angry. I don't know why I'm bad be, just because of the color of my skin. Uh, you know, people, I had one boy, he was about 14 and he was like, you know, my friends are calling me racist. And when I tell them that I don't necessarily support Black Lives Matter, the organization, um, you know, they, and then they tell me that I'm racist or that I don't understand what black people are going through. I had a girl who- 14 year olds? Yes. I had a girl mention the same thing and how, you know, it's hard for her to talk to her non-Christian friends now and even some of her Christian friends because of the thought that, you know, she is racist just because she's white. Mm. And so it was it was very hard, you know, trying to, to navigate those waters and answer some of those questions. But I think it was extremely helpful for parents to understand that you have to be having these conversations with your kids, thinking that you're, you're, you're protecting your kids by sheltering them from some of these conversations isn't ex exactly helpful because the conversations are happening in their peer groups. And so, yeah, there needs to be more conversation and it's hard. It's hard to navigate. What do I, what do I expose my child to? And, you know, yet if I don't expose my child, then am I sheltering them from the realities of what they're going to hit when they get into college? So if you want Monique to come bring cheer to your homeschool group, <laughs> you can contact her through the Center for Biblical Unity. All right. Uh, are we starting to get some questions into the chat box there, Bob? You got other things? It's been a while since seeing you live. Hey, Kim. Um, I'd like to know the story of when you met each other. Oh boy. <laughs> right out of the gate, Kelly, you're just going to go right there. Aren't you? How about Jeremy's question? Jeremy's question is much more fun. How did you get interested in theology? <laughs> Do you have a favorite part of systematic theology? Okay. All right. Uh, all right. Should we do Kelly's question? I'd like to know how you met each other. Was it before Monique came back from the mission field? So you want to you want to tell that story? I'll let you take that one. I'll pitch in as needed. <laughs> well, what's really cool is you are exactly in the place where you were when I first met you, which is in Santa Rosa. I am. And I'll be at the exact same church where you saw me at for the first time. Yes. So um, back in 2017, well, first of all, a little bit about me. I had been, actually been praying for about. 15 years, just quietly, nobody knew I was praying this, but I was just asking the Lord. I really had a burden in my heart to 
talk about race and justice issues, but I didn't have a person that I could talk to about those issues. And so I just kept asking the Lord to send somebody. And um, so I guess, I guess Monique was the answer to that 15 year prayer of, uh, you know, sending somebody in my life that I could talk to about it. Anyways, back in uh, 2017, um, yeah, we met. Uh, I had, ha- should I tell him the real story? <laughs> the real, you know, <laughs> if you want, I'm open, I'm down. Okay. So I had, some of you are going to like unsubscribe in about five minutes. Uh, so I had a very vivid dream one night and I do believe that God still does communicate sometimes through, through dreams and that, that, that sort of communication is a thing. Um, it's biblical and it still does happen occasionally. And, um, so I had a dream and there's been a few times where God's told me things in dreams. And this was one of those times. And I had this dream about uh, an American black woman living in South Africa um, near the ocean and that she was helping these, these horribly traumatized children and orphans and um, that her name was Mo. And I didn't know any American black woman in South Africa named Mo. Uh, so I woke up in the middle of the night and as I sometimes do, I wrote down my dream in my dream book and I typed it out on my phone and, um, went back to sleep and, and asked the Lord to, to explain the dream to me. And, um, so I felt like the next day that was really strong. Like, okay, I think that was something, but I don't know what it is yet. And a couple days went by and I was on Facebook and, there, there she was. She was in my Facebook feed. Uh, we had a mutual friend who had had like posted or reposted or commented or something on a sermon uh, that she was that Monique was doing up in Santa Rosa at Santa Rosa Christian Church. She was on furlough from missions and doing some fundraising at the church. They were big supporters of hers when she was in South Africa. So I was like, I just in a moment of impulsivity, I wrote on social media, I. I think I know who you are. I think I had a prophetic dream about you or something. I I forget. No, no, no. She didn't say that. I can't remember what I said. She said, I think I just had a dream with you. That was all you put. And it wasn't nothing. I was just, I was like, what in the world is she talking about? So then you private messaged me. And so then we had a conversation. And so we started talking and talking on Zoom and hanging out on Zoom and Facebook and just started getting to know each other. And so then uh, when she came back from the mission field, it was many, many months later, uh, we wanted to meet up and meet in person and um, went out to dinner. And she was supposed to stay one night or one or two nights at my house. And she pretty much never left. (laughs) So that's the story of how we met. And um if you want to know more, you can find out about Monique's journey through mission field induced post-traumatic stress disorder. We did a whole episode about that about a year ago and talked about the details of why she came home from the mission field and her journey to recovery. And, um, you know, really uh, what she's doing now is pretty miraculous. Um, in the beginning, doctors told us that she may never be normal again. She may never work again. And She's just a living 
breathing, walking miracle of being able to do what she's doing now. So that's the short version. Abnormal, but I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit. So, so that's the story. All right. Let's go back so to the there question. are some other questions. Um, I saw Jeremy had a question for you about yeah. um, what got you into systematic theology. Um, I took a class my senior year at Biola on theology. Everyone had to take theology classes at Biola, but yes, I just had an exceptionally, I had an exceptionally good professor, and he made the theology very interesting. And I thought. I've never heard theology taught this way before. And so it intrigued me enough that I wanted to take just one class. I signed up for a theology of C.S. Lewis class um, at Talbot. And then that turned into a theology of women in ministry class. And then that turned into two master's degrees in theology. So, yeah, so that that's kind of how it started for me. It was a slow, slow on ramp. So. Jeremy asked me, how's seminary going? What has surprised you about going to seminary? What's good? What's not so good? Ooh, Jeremy. So seminary's going good. It's a lot of work. I thought, you know, we could just worship and pray, you know, maybe <laughs> read the Bible. No, they got me reading some big old books. Um, and, but I'm learning how to exegete scripture properly, not read, you know, or to recognize my own bias and what I actually bring to the text. And so that's been helpful, especially when, when I see a lot of people redefining scripture or trying to use scripture for their own benefit and not using what the actual, what the author actually meant. So that's been helpful. What's been surprising? Um, I'm not really sure what's been surprising aside from the workload work. Yeah. (laughs) The workload a lot. It's definitely a lot of reading. Um, We should probably say that you're taking two classes right now. Yeah. I'm taking two classes and I'm taking hermeneutics and I'm taking theology and spiritual formation. So there's that. I have um, Dr. Kyle Strobel, which is Lee Strobel's dad. I mean, Lee Strobel's son. Now, you guys, let's, okay, y'all, I I say every week that I'm a work in progress. I don't know a lot of things about um, apologists and all those things. And so on the first day of class, Kyle Strobel was talking about his dad. And I'm just like, why is he talking about his dad so much? Who, like, what in the world? And eventually I asked Krista, I was like, have you ever heard of this guy called Lee Strobel? And she was like, yeah, he's like one of the greatest apologists ever. And I was like, oh, there's that. So, whoopsie. whoopsie. I think the the names that people drop or know, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm surprised that I don't know these people. But, but you just you don't. Know, That's okay. It is okay. I don't. I don't know them. Um, so let's go back. Yeah. I think, so uh, we have another question for you. Yeah. Amy wants to know how did you get involved with social work? You know, I've wanted to do social work ever since I was. All right. She'll be back. I know that uh, Monique has wanted to be in social work since she was a small child. That's the only thing she ever wanted to do was be a social worker uh, growing up in South L.A. So uh, I know that that has been her life vision. All right. Let me go to a question about me. Is there a question there for me? Uh, Krista, I heard you speak of being East in the Eastern Orthodox Church. My question is, 
Do you believe we are justified by faith alone? Okay, simply grace. Thank you for that question. I am not Eastern Orthodox. Um, I am. I've grown up in the Baptist church. I was, was reformed for about 12 years. I would say I'm probably Anglican now, something along those lines. Um, we've had a couple of guests on our show who are Eastern Orthodox. Um, I see our Eastern Orthodox friends as um, part of Christianity. And Monique and I have uh, built the Center for Biblical Unity in the the historic Christian tradition. And I think it's very helpful to have an understanding of Christianity as having ancient roots and understanding what Christians have historically believed. And so um, the, because I'm Anglican and, you know, I am a Protestant, so I am in the Protestant Reformation uh, camp, but I have a deep appreciation for Eastern Orthodox uh, friends and the historic Christian tradition um, Monique and I both have a lot of respect for, um, our friends, uh, who have come on the show and talked to us about their, uh, faith in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. We'll probably have some Catholic friends on at some point. Um, but there's, I think in this day and age, uh, what unites us is much greater than what divides us because, um, there's so much hostility in the culture against historic Christianity and, by and large, I'm becoming more and more sympathetic to how do I find genuine Christian allies? And I'm seeing um, Orthodox friends as genuine brothers and sisters. Now, obviously, all churches have people that just go to church and don't really believe. They just go through the motions. That's a Protestant problem, too. Uh, that's not a uniquely Orthodox problem. So, you know, all of us need to examine our hearts and um, figure out, uh, who we're trusting in for our salvation. Okay. You froze. So we didn't get to hear I'm your, sorry. It logged me out. I, um, I actually turned off YouTube. Okay. Guys, my, okay. So little story, um, that no one asked me about, but I'm going to tell, I have a new computer. It's a MacBook pro or a MacBook air. It's MacBook. air. It's the tiny, air. it's a step it's above a, a toy computer. computer. And, but it's new. Like I haven't had it a year and she really can't handle anything, but she's really pretty. She's a rose gold pinky color. She's so pretty. I love her just because of her color. But I, yeah, womp womp. I'm sorry that it logged me off. I will finish answering Amy's question. Um, I just always wanted to be in social work, like, or in working with children in a help area. And yeah, so when I was five, like my, my, all my imaginary friends were orphans that I could help and take to the doctor. And my mom would have to buckle them all in the car before we could ever go anywhere drove her crazy. And as I, as I grew up, this is just what I organically wanted to do. I wanted to work, never wanted to go overseas, always wanted to work in different inner cities with children who needed social service care. I went through a stint in about ninth or 10th grade where I wanted to do neurosurgery and be a, um, a child neurosurgeon and actually did a run at, um, I did an internship when I was in 10th grade at Los Angeles County General Hospital on their neurosurgical ward, thinking that I would um, go into neurosurgery. It was a program through USC. But shortly after that, I was like, no, you know, it, it, 
I think what felt organic and true to my heart was social service. And so, yeah, I just focused on, on doing things in social service. So that's what got me into social service, social work kind of things. Amy's other question is, is what did you do and what took you to South Africa? What took me to South Africa, I was invited to go through an organization called Gap Community. It's an organization run by Jean Marie Jobs, and it is a leadership organization. So what they do is they go into different areas and work on things like personal responsibility and community development. How can you, with your personal responsibility, partner with someone else in their personal responsibility and join together to really uplift your community out of poverty, out of dysfunction, and all of those kind of things. I went to South Africa for the first time. I was invited in 09, went in in 10, in January of 2010. And I went back every year doing the same thing with young people, really looking at leadership development and how um, how they were responsible despite what was happening within their communities or within their home, how they were responsible for their life and the choices they needed to make to be responsible adults and have a life that was different than what they were currently seeing either in their home or within their community. In 2013, I was there because I went every year. In 2013, I was there and I really felt the Lord speaking to my heart that it was time to move there. And, and I always thought that, you know, eventually I would be there. But, you know, from 2010 to 2013, I was working and doing well. When I was there in 2013, I felt like the Lord was saying, it's time, you know, move here. And I did. I went originally to teach dance and use it as a form of um, like movement or dance therapy to get kids to express their emotions and um, get in contact with what's happening um, within them. And from there, it just grew and expanded into four years of conversations with young. Mm. So some people may not know that Monique actually had a a background in dance and she traveled. It was in a traveling dance troupe for a couple of years when she was in her early late teens, early 20s. So um, doing dance therapy in South Africa was definitely something she was passionate about. All right, let's go back to the questions here. All right. I was recently, Aaron says, I was recently introduced to Miles McPherson's ministry by way of video. I found him interesting until I read an article, which he seemed a bit antagonistic and BLM sympathetic. Yes, Aaron. Um, Until then, I was going to order the book, The Third Option. Thoughts on his stance and his book. Um. His book, The Third Option, I think is actually good. Um, We've led a few book groups. We're getting ready to start another book group in the next few weeks here on The Third Option. It's a good kind of beginner um, entry into the discussion about race. So the book itself is, I think, helpful. It's basic, but it's helpful. Um, Monique and I have, have seen a couple of things in recent months that does make it seem like he is becoming more CRT sympathetic. Um, But that is not present in his book, the third option. So if you just look at that, it's, it is a helpful book. Another book that uh, is, is also worth checking out is George Yancey's book, 
beyond racial gridlock. That is another helpful contribution to the race discussion. He has a kind of a nice moderate position. Uh, Monique and I actually got to meet George uh, briefly, Dr. Yancey, last weekend in Atlanta at an event uh, that we were both speaking at. And a very great guy. He does have concerns about critical race theory coming into the church. And um, he's he's a sociologist. He's an academic. So um, that might be another book worth checking out. Let's go back to the comments here. All right. Uh, let's see. Susanna wants a link to Monique's uh the discussion of her PTSD, maybe uh, Laura or Alicia can, can find that for us in the archives. It should be there on YouTube. You can put a link to it in the chat. That's an awesome story. I think she talked, Teresa, you're talking about our crazy story uh, <laughs> about how Monique and I met. Um, yeah, it is a crazy story, but I think what's really cool about our story is that during the hard times that we've had about race conversations, we always walk in the reality that, God brought us together. Like there was a divine reason why we came together to be friends. And that helped us hang on in a lot of hard moments so that we could stay in the conversation and invite all of you into the conversation with us. Okay. Let's go back to the chat here. Um, let's see my question for Krishna. Do you believe baptism is necessary for salvation? Oh boy. Um, the way I think about baptism is that I don't like the word necessary. Um, <sighs> baptism has been the default sign of coming into the new covenant since the start of the church. We see it from the earliest part of the church, Acts chapter 2. What must we do to be saved? Repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the formula for how to convert in the early church. And we see that played out not only in the book of Acts, but also in the history of the church. If you just go back to the ancient documents of the church, it's a continuation of the story of the book of Acts. And that was the formula for how you came into the church was believe um, that Jesus was the Messiah and that he died and he was buried and he rose again. Um, be water baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, repent of your sins. Like that's kind of the, the formula of early Christianity. Um, it's not really until you get into American Christianity that baptism gets decoupled from conversion. And so I think that the conversation about is it necessary is not the right question. The question ought to be what have Christians historically believed about baptism and what they have historically believed is that the default for how you come into our faith is repent, be water baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And you see that played out in ancient faith churches. And that's how we did it for a very, very, very long time. It is a unique feature of American Christianity where we de decouple and uh, baptism from conversion and we start making baptism optional. 
Now, immediately what people do is they want to go to, well, what about the thief on the cross? Was he baptized? Notice what I said. Default. The default position is be baptized. The normal position. Now, are there exceptions? Absolutely. If somebody converts on their deathbed, if somebody converts in an extenuating circumstance where there's, there's no water. Yeah, no, no, it's no problem. God's not that legalistic, but the default is that we ought to be baptized. So that's, that's my position on that. Hopefully that helps you. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Amy's bringing the tough questions tonight. Krista, what are your thoughts on predestination and free will? Yes. Yes. Yes to both. Yes. That's what his, Christians have historically believed. Yes. Uh, I like the statement in the book of Acts. Um, those who were appointed unto salvation believed. Yes. That's about all I got to say about that. Okay. Um, Aaron. Oh, Alicia is saying to Aaron, that the third option is a good read. Yeah, it is. Alicia was in one of our book groups. Um. Are you familiar with the restoration movement? Well, not in particular. I mean, there's a sense in which all of Protestantism tries to be a restoration movement. So um, certainly you can put something in the chat about something more specific about that. Hello from Missoula, Montana. Hello. Glad to have you here, Sylvia. That's a beautiful name. Um, Let's see. Hey, Susanna. Hey, Jeremy. Uh, Favorite books, fiction and nonfiction, Christian and non-Christian. Oh boy. Um, I, I, all right, here's a true confession. I don't understand fiction books. <laughs> I just don't. Uh, probably the last fiction book I read. Hey, there you are. Um, somebody wants to know our favorite books. Jeremy wants to know our favorite books. What are your favorite uh, books? Um, fiction or nonfiction? Either one. I don't know. I don't really have. I think my favorite fiction book while you're thinking is probably the series by Lynn Austin. It's called um, Gods and Kings is the name of the book series. I really like that series because it weaves together Old Testament history, archaeology and the ancient Near East. I, that's probably the last fictional book that I've ever read. And I read all the books in the series in like just a few weeks. It's the only time I've ever like binge read uh, fiction books, which really there's more like historical fiction, but I really love the Lynn Austin God, gods and Kings. Yeah. The Da Vinci code. There's some nonfiction for you. <laughs> yeah. When I was, when I was growing up, I think I read, um, I read native son by Richard Wright in eighth grade. And it had such a huge impact on me um, that I think that held with me for a long time. Langston Hughes is one of my most favorite authors. Um, she named her dog after Langston Hughes. I did. I named my dog Langston. Um, <laughs> Hannah Hunard wrote a book. Um, oh, Heinz Speed, Speed on High Places. Places. I read that I in really college. Enjoyed that yeah. Book. Yeah. Um, Maya Angelou is another one of my favorite authors. Um, I know why the cage bird sings all God's children need traveling shoes. Um, yeah. 
So I'm, I, I don't consider myself a big reader, but when I find something that I like, then I dive in. Or when I find a, yeah. a writer that I like, I dive in. Um, I am not, for movies though, I don't really like nonfiction unless it's the Avengers, which I recently saw for the very first time. There's that. Uh, I tend to like more real movies, but I think, yeah, between Maya Angelou, um, Langston Hughes, Richard Wright. Oh, The Blind Side. You like The Blind Side. Blind Side is probably one of my favorite movies, I would say. And um, what was that movie that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer did when she was a teacher in the hood? Oh, yeah. Not Boys in the Hood. I know that's No, that was in the 90s. I like that movie Dangerous Minds. Dangerous Minds. Yes, I like that movie a lot. So... Yeah, but I, I don't know about a nonfiction book. I I think probably the my most impactful books that shaped me, especially when I was in seminary, was a book called um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. That's probably Stuart like... Stuart and Fee. Huh? Stuart and Fee. Yeah, Stuart and Fee. I've recommended that book to literally hundreds of people over the years. Um, very, uh, it definitely shaped my view of... Um, the Bible and how to interpret scripture. Um, probably that would probably be like the most influential book to me. Um, other than the Bible. I feel like my hermeneutics book is doing that right now for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. Let's go to the questions again here. Um, are you familiar with the churches of Christ or disciples of Christ theology? Not really. They're not big out here in California. Um, I noticed there were a lot of those churches in the South and um, but I don't really know what they're about other than they really emphasize baptism. That's about all I know. How long have you been a Johnny Cash fan? Her whole life. My whole life. Your childhood. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Monique took me to the Johnny Cash Museum, uh, week before last. That was just like one of the most best memories ever. Uh, it's like one of the only places on the planet that I've ever wanted to go. And while we were there, um, they had a wall of records. And I saw the record that I that I had when I was a kid. And Monique is so nice. She bought me the cassette tape. Look at this thing. This is fantastic. There it is. In the original shrink wrap. People. In the original 1980 shrink wrap. I don't even want to unwrap it. But it's Johnny Cash. A believer sings the truth. I had this this cassette tape when I was a little kid and I wore that out. Man, I would be playing that all the time. And uh, yeah, I just I've been a fan pretty much my whole life. Angels Baseball and Johnny Cash that, that and yeah, that was that was that was it. So, yeah, all my life. So I have a little uh, thing that I did on Johnny Cash. Um, if you go over to the 2819 show, um, I'm one of the hosts over on that show too. And I did a segment about Johnny Cash last year. They let me do a segment about it. So you can see me wax eloquent about Johnny Cash. All right, let's go back to the questions here. What is a good Bible translation that would tell you the meaning of words and verses Originally intended, like what specific version of the word love is being used? Okay. 
I think if you look, Laura or Alicia, can you go on my YouTube channel and try to find my message on Bible translations? You can put post it in the chat. Um, so there's kind of a few different families of, of how Bibles are translated, but nothing is going to solve the problem that you're asking about. Um, even literal translations um, will not solve the problem that you're asking about. There's really no substitute for knowing a little bit about the original language. The book that I would recommend, um, I think I loaned it to Monique. It's up in her room. It's, it's by William Mounts. It's called the Expository Dictionary of, of Bible Terms or something. Um, it's a very lay-friendly book because you can look, things are alphabetized in English. And then it gives you the Greek and the Hebrew. Um, it's called, uh, it's by William Mounts. It's called Expository Meaning of Words or Expository Dictionary of Words or something to that effect. It has a black and blue cover. Um, so that is a helpful tool. I'm not a big believer in Bible tools, but that one is actually genuinely useful. Um, so if you want to look up a word, um, that's always the one I recommend. That's it. Mounts' Complete Expository Dictionary. That is, um, you know, $30 well spent. That That is a solid uh, Bible help. I don't recommend a lot of Bible helps, but that's one I, that I do. I love teaching um, how to interpret the Bible. I love teaching hermeneutics. That's my favorite thing. If I, if I had more time, I would do like an online class of teaching hermeneutics. That's... Uh, a great thing. So, all right, let's go back to the questions. All right. Hi, Annette. We see you. Let's see. Nothing there. Jesse. Oh, boy. Jesse always brings the tough questions. All right. If you are baptized as an infant in the Catholic faith, left Christianity and came back, should you get rebaptized? I don't know. Ask the Lord. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it, some, when I was reformed, um, the church that we belong to said, if you were baptized as an infant, as long as within the name of the Trinity and involved water, they would accept your baptism. Other churches require you to get rebaptized. I don't know. I, I, I really think that. There's no Bible verse about getting rebaptized. So anything I would have to say would just be human wisdom. So there's that. <laughs> what do you think? I've been baptized a few times, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back. Um, there, Alicia's got a link to uh, our episode about uh, mission field PTSD. What are some good resources to learn about the early church fathers and the historical church? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of free stuff online, really. Um, you can Google um, just about any of the works from the church fathers uh, online. Um, I like to use, if I'm checking out, um, you know, after I've done all my Bible interpretation um, and I'm preparing a lesson um, and I want to check or verify my interpretation. A lot of times I'll just go look some things up in the fathers and 
see see how it's been handled. Um, a really good shortcut is there's actually an Orthodox wiki site with a pretty good search engine. And they have short articles on there where you can just kind of, it'll summarize. This is, you know, how Christians have historically believed this. Um, another really good re- uh, reference that I like that's easy is um, the Orthodox Study Bible, which is actually on Bible Gateway. Um, a lot of the notes are on Bible Gateway. So if you use the Bible Gateway website, um, there's a ton of, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but there's a ton of like study Bible notes on the side that you can access. I bought a pro account and man, you can access like practically any study Bible you want uh, through the Bible Gateway pro account. So, um, but the Orthodox study Bible notes are nice because they include sort of a nice summary of how particular passages have been dealt with in church history. Um, so those are a couple of things, but you can, you can just Google a, a lot of um, resources for free. Um, Irenaeus, Athanasius, um, you know, reading the Didache is really interesting. It's sort of an early church manual on how it's very, very ancient, like within a hundred years of, of the first Christians. Um, just interesting to see how Christians conceived of um, their faith. So I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Monique? No, I'm kind of like afraid to talk because I feel like as soon as I start talking, I'm a freeze. So I'm just sitting here like, hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Woo! Let's see if there's a question for Monique. Let's see. Let give my voice a rest. Um, let's see. Uh, Drew wants to know about my job. Uh, I've worked at Reasons to Believe for 22 years. Dr. Ross is absolutely exactly how he's in public. He's a great guy. He's a man of humility and integrity. Um, are you familiar with the unity church? I think the unity church might be a cult, but I would have to look that up. I think they are different than Unitarians or Universalists, but I could be wrong. Not an expert on that. Um, all right. Krista, what other country music artists do you like? Did you watch them? All of them. Did you watch Ken Burns country music series? Yes, I did. It was very well done. I wish I could get Monique and my family to watch it with me. Um, it was it was very well done about the history of country music. They had a long um, discussion of Johnny Cash and the Carter family, the origins and, and history of country music. And country music is so interesting because it has this interesting intersection with American Christianity. And um, it when you're talking about the history of country music, to some degree, you're also looking at the particular flavor of Christianity that we experience here in America. So it's an interesting interplay between those two streams of thought. I don't know. When I hear country music, all I hear is people talking about their ex-wife, their ex-lover, who they want to shoot with their gun, who they going to run over with their big truck. That is definitely... Um, I don't know where Christianity fall with that, but you know... Well, uh, I, yeah, I, I think the kind of some of the key themes of country music are drinking. Uh, and uh, drinking on Saturday night and then going to church on Sunday. There's sort of this interesting sinner saint kind of um, dichotomy in country music. A a lot of themes about that. For sure. I don't know. I don't know. But no, I'm not I'm not too interested. I do like hip hop. I like gospel music. You know, you want to sit and listen to some some Lauryn Hill or 
Fred Hammond. You know, we can go either way. <laughs> um, with with Lauren yeah, Hill, would she be considered gospel? No, no, she, okay. No, no. Lauren Hill is known, I'd say, primarily for um, her work with the Fugees or the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yeah. But yes, love me some Lauren. But she did kind of lose her mind a little bit. You know, we don't really talk about that little section of life. But um, yeah. All right, let's let's go on. Oh, now we are digging the bottom of the barrel. What are your favorite movies? Ah, no. Uh, Favorite movies? Um, favorite movie is Dangerous Minds, Freedom Riders, um, The Blind Side. Uh, my my favorite movies are uh, a little different than that. I really like Sister Act 2. Oh, gosh. Um, this is why we can't ever find a movie to watch together. Our taste is too different. That's true. I like period movies like Anne of Green Gables. That was my favorite movie in college. Um, Emma, I like the old Gwyneth Paltrow version of Emma. Um, yeah. I have never heard of these movies. Chariots of Fire is probably my all-time favorite. I, and, um, I really like the C.S. Lewis film Shadowlands. So yeah, we- Oh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Those are my favorites too. Yeah, you like Chronicles of Narnia. See, we just have such different movie tastes. We don't go to movies together. Yeah, go look up an obscure movie called Avalon. Jeremy, you're a movie buff. That's that's a good movie. I think Somebody like asked in the chat what led me to being baptized multiple times. You see that? Oh no, I don't see that. Do you think? Jessie. A, I don't know. Uh, I see it. Oh um, yeah. Oh Jesse. Yeah. I was baptized as a child. Um, my mom's decision, and then as a teenager, I was baptized because I was like, oh. Like I would want to do this and all the other kids in the youth group were getting baptized. And so there was that. And then I completely like live my own life for a long time. And when I got to South Africa and was really like focused, I really, um, I feel like grew in, in my faith and my relationship with the Lord in South Africa. And I decided that I really wanted to make a firm commitment, like from this point on. And so, yeah, I was baptized three times. Y'all, I've been dipped. <laughs> I don't know. I've been triple dipped. Um, and I don't know if that's biblical, unbiblical. I have no idea. All I know is that that's what I did. That's what you did. The Lord will sort it out. He will. <laughs> All right, let's go back. All right. Uh, hi from North Carolina. Hey, Christy. I watched By What Standard today. I hope and pray the SBC can get off the slippery slope of CRT. Um, yeah, that, that was an interesting documentary. We did a show about that documentary, I think, back in December. If you want to check out our conversation about that, maybe one of our moderators, moderators can put that in the chat. Um, so I think that. I think my hope is that the SBC will continue that conversation. And that they will continue to grapple with what CRT looks like, especially in their seminaries. I'm very concerned about how it's shaping the next generation of pastors. Um, Monique and I have had some conversations. I, I, I am to the point, I never thought I would say this, but I am to the point where I'm like, I wouldn't 
there aren't a lot of seminaries that I could recommend to people that they can go to. Um, there, there's just, and what you learn in seminary does shape how you do ministry and how you see scripture. Um, so you have to be careful about what you choose. And I really appreciate Southern Evangelical Seminary coming out with a, with a clear, charitable, thorough statement about critical theory. Um, but that is the rare exception. I don't know. What do you, do you have anything to say, Monique, about that? Yeah, I, I would love to see the church as a whole kind of um, figure out what are we doing with critical race theory. But I don't know that that will actually ever happen because so many are influenced and impacted by it and, and feel like it's the right way to go. When I look at seminaries, I, I think SES, like you said, is really the only lasting seminary that is firm in their stand against it. I think that different seminaries have people within their seminary who are taking a firm stand, yeah. but it's still trickled in some kind of way. Um, and so this is why it's important for us to understand what it is before we even get into seminary so that you can recognize it if your professor is proclaiming it or you know maybe CRT sympathetic. Yeah. Okay, we keep going here. All right. Um, oh, good. They got the link to the Bible translations discussion. Um, all right, keep going. Can you scroll down for me there, Bob? That's good. What are some good online CRT dialogues and discussions? Oh, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. I think that... Hmm. I could say check out stuff by Helen Pluckrose and, and James Lindsay. I, they're secular yeah. atheists, but um, they do give a fair treatment of it and the warning signs, you know, why it's, why it's, you know, not a helpful framework. There just aren't a lot of dialogues where people yeah. are like pro and against in the same conversation. And somebody actually asked Neil Shenvey about that when he was on our show recently. And he was like, they're just, they just don't do a lot of engagement with people who disagree with them. So, and that's part of the, the framework though, you know, it, it creates a vacuum. And so people who are pro CRT tend not to enter into debate a lot of times. Yeah. And so, yeah. But yeah, I think if you want more secular voices, James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, um, there's another YouTube channel I enjoy, Carlin Barshenko, She's a HR direct or a HR consultant. Um, she's not a Christian. That's kind of more on the secular side that they have some good YouTube content. Um, there's some helpful, there's a really helpful documentary about Evergreen College mm -hmm. and the breakdown of Evergreen College. And you kind of see how CRT played out in real time on a college campus, if, if you take the ideals all the way to their logical conclusion. And yes. uh, if you go on YouTube and you look for the Evergreen College documentary, um, it's a three-part thing uh, that is um, really an eye-opening uh, thing. So, and Neil Shenvey has done an, a number of, of interviews and 
talks and and that's like a good on ramp to yeah. to the discussion. So I agree. Okay, let's go. Um, Jeremy says, "I know Avalon." Yes. Well, Jeremy, me and you and four other people on the planet know that movie. <laughs> uh, have you seen the American Gospel? What did you think about it? We saw part two, the one with Alicia Childers and Bart Campolo. I thought it was really well done. Um, it's a very, um, you know, extremely reformed uh, presentation of the gospel, but but very solid. Um, and I really like how they put it together. What might be a good way to describe someone to someone how the Old Testament law wasn't totally abolished under the new covenant? Yeah. Um, if you didn't catch recently the podcast that dropped this week that I did on the Kindled podcast, that's a good uh, discussion of the law and how it relates to the new covenant believer. Um I think a very basic way of starting people in the conversation is pointing out, you know, that there's a lot of places, there's multiple places in scripture that says God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so, you know, his, his character doesn't change. It's the same God, old Testament and new Testament. And justice is an extension of his moral character um, and so we would expect to see, you know, a thread that of, of common themes in the moral law that carries us through both covenants. Um, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we're to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people. And he says, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you to do. Um, so basically discipling the nations. Well, how are they going to do that? When your eyes start looking in scripture in the new covenant, you start seeing law and commands everywhere. Um, Jesus says repeatedly that if you love me, you will keep my commands. Well, the, what are those commands? A lot of times it's, it's assumed that the audience knows what he's talking about as the old covenant laws the Ten Commandments are all explicitly repeated in the New Covenant, um, with the exception of the Sabbath law, which is modified in the book of Hebrews. Um, but we see a thread throughout. Um, one common example to think about is laws against incest. Um, when Paul talks about incest in 1 Corinthians, he refers them back to the old covenant. He's assuming they, that they know that there's no new covenant law that prohibits incest, but it would go against God's moral character to say that now incest is okay. So in general, we assume that the moral laws still apply to us unless there's some specific reason that they don't that's stated in scripture, all the laws against bestiality, um, are not repeated in the new covenant. And yet um, we would, we, we just have a, a, a common belief and understanding that that still violates God's moral character. So if you don't affirm God's moral laws from the old covenant to the new covenant, that that's a thread and a reflection of his moral character that carries throughout scripture, you get into all kinds of weird 
um, problems of, uh, you know, what, um, what is prohibited. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of some, some thoughts about that. I hope that's helpful. All right, let's go back to the, to the comments here. Annette, I'm sorry, I didn't see your question. So just type it again uh, and, and um, we'll try to get to it. I, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. Um, this far by faith, Douglas says, African-American spiritual journeys is a great PBS special. Oh, that's, that's good to know. Maybe Roy's looking for something to watch as a family. So yeah, I think she sees it. Imitation of Life is my favorite movie of all time. I've never heard of that movie. Okay. Um, okay. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, restating Annette's question. Do you think a person can be saved if they add works to the gospel? Add works. Well, again, I'm not sure that that's the right question. Um, because Christians have universally believed that we're saved um, by faith, that that's the, the door that we come in is through the faith door <laughs> that we have to um, put our faith and trust in the work of Christ and what he's done for us. Um, Christians have universally believed that um, the question of what is the role of good works in that? Um, I would say that good works is something that the Holy Spirit works with us in transforming our heart and our, our mind and our, our desires. And as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and we walk in holiness, that is certainly a, a, a vital and important, and I would say even necessary and expected condition of the Christian life. Um, so am I, it, to say that it's, that it's, um, re required for salvation is a little peculiar to me in the, in the wording of that. I, I would say that it's, it's expected. It's the default. It's what Christians have always believed that are the fruit and manifestation of our salvation would work itself out with good works. If, um, I like what Luther says is that we're saved by faith alone, but good works are, are or, but that salvation is never alone. <laughs> that those, those, those good works are to naturally flow out. Now, again, I noticed that I said the default now can people on their deathbed still go to heaven, even if they haven't had any good works. Absolutely. I mean, that's what God sorts out, but the, just, if somebody has like no manifestation of holiness in their life, that would be troubling because they, they wouldn't be seeming to live under the power of the Holy spirit. So I don't know, Monique, do you have any thoughts about that? I would say it's the difference between compulsion or not compulsion, but like, yeah, something that's um, like you're forced to do and very legalistic versus like um, the conviction. So as Christ transforms my heart, like I want to do good works. I want to, to have personal righteousness and um, like love my neighbor as I love myself. And that will lead to, to work. Like it will lead to good works. I don't, I don't um, 
know that I'm like, I, I'm saved by not saved by those works, but like I'm saved through my faith in Jesus. And so, like I said, as, as your heart gets transformed, you know, you want to, it, it would be a natural outworking. Yeah. It's not that I'm adding work to it. It's that the work comes up out of me almost just because of the transformation of my heart through the gospel. It would yeah. be like Zacchaeus, you yeah. know, like his heart transformation because of his relationship or coming in, in into contact and having an encounter with Christ, there was a transformation. Um, and so then he immediately wanted to respond. He wanted yes. to, he, he knew God's law and he's like, oh, this is what I must do to now obey. And, and so yeah. as we make Christ preeminent over all things in our life, and that could be a journey it takes time, but we want to have all of Christ over all of us. And, you know, that, that is the journey of the Christian life. So, all right, let's go back. I saw you at the Illuminate conference. Oh, yes. Good. I hope you enjoyed uh, the talk there, Donna. Um, I'm in a, rec I'm a recovery coach for people who have addictions. Those in this field have views and philosophies of, critical race theory, critical theory. Um, me knowing this, how can one still work in this field if I don't support those views? I'll let Monique can answer you, that. I can't, I didn't hear the question. Can you? So I, it's somebody who's working as a recovery coach in the addiction community. Yeah. And they said that that, that conversation has been really inundated with ideas from critical theory. Can they still help people with addictions, even if they don't subscribe to critical theory. I would say that you can't actually help someone through addiction when you hold to critical race theory, because critical race theory separates people into like this victimizer victim mentality. And when you are struggling with addiction, what one of the conversations that's so easy to grab onto is this, I'm a victim mentality. I'm a victim to my addiction. I'm a victim to the substance. We have to go past that conversation. Um, and there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, like ways and methodologies of talking about the person and separating them from that, that victim mentality. But cr critical race theory is a victim, like oppressed oppressor. You know, this is one of my big, my big um, issues with it in regards to identity. And so... No, I would say that holding on to, to critical race theory, you're not going to be, or critical theory in general, you're not going to be able to, to really support them through and support their soul through the transformation that needs to occur when someone is deep into addiction. Now, when we look biblically at, you know, how do I help someone through addiction? Put a little bookmark there. All right, let's go back to the chat. Let her reset. All right. <sighs> Got to shore up the movie watching game, Jeremy. Oh, man. Alfred Hitchcock, Ian Barber. I don't know. I just am not a big movie buff, Jeremy. You, you uncovered me. I, I'm just really not. Believe it or not, I used to have a job when I was in seminary as a movie reviewer. And I had to go watch like one or two movies a week and write a review of them. Um, I did that for two or three years when I was in seminary. They paid me $25 <laughs> for a movie review. Can you imagine? Oh man. Yeah, that was big money. I had that in a house cleaning job. I was doing big things. Um, have you heard anything about Westminster or Philadelphia? No, 
Uh, Missio Biblical Theological Seminary. Boy, they used to be solid, but I've seen some kind of progressive people coming out of both of those seminaries. So I'm not really sure where they're at. Um, Because, yeah, when progressive people come out of a seminary and you see multiple progressive people coming out, you start thinking something's happening here. So I'm not really sure. What are your favorite guilty pleasure desserts? Oh, mine is chocolate. It's such a problem. All right. Evergreen doc college documentary was shopping, shocking to watch. I agree. That was one of the very first things I watched when I started going down this road of critical theory. I was like, Oh my, what is this? Uh, it is very disturbing. I agree. Yola. Um, let's see. Critique of postmodernism. Thank you, Alicia. Uh, what do you think of Jordan Peterson? I don't know. I haven't watched enough of his stuff to have an opinion about Jordan Peterson. Um, what are your thoughts regarding 1619 Project versus 1776? We are big fans of 1776 Unites. Um, pray for us um, as we are continuing to be in conversation with them about Monique's ministry. Um, what led you to leave the Reformed theology? Oh, yeah, that question. Thank you. <laughs> um, a lot of things. Um, I've talked about this before, uh, so I'll just give the short version. Um, we converted from reform, from being Baptist to being reformed in the nineties and, um, really cut out of a heart of like, we wanted to be so biblically faithful. We wanted to, to really know the truth. And when reformed people came along, we read, you know, a couple of sprawl books and, started attending a reformed church and listening to reformed uh, radio shows and stuff. And, you know, that was our heart. Like we really wanted to be find the most biblically faithful framework that we could. And, and that's what was put forward to us. And it seemed compelling. I think that, um, however, there were things about the reformed tradition um, that were hard for my husband and I, and one was the lack of evangelism. Um, when we were in the reform tradition, we just didn't see people share their faith anymore. And in fact, they actively made fun of people who did share their faith. And there was this constant narrative of lampooning evangelicals for sharing their faith. And um, yeah. And if they, if they didn't believe like exactly the way the reform people believe the reformed people would act like, well, they aren't really Christians. And that over time, we just felt like was a toxic kind of culture. And so for us, we didn't, we just decided we didn't want to raise our kids in that culture. We wanted our kids to know their faith. We wanted them to be educated about their faith. And that was something we enjoyed about the reformed tradition. We learned a ton about the Bible when we were reformed, but we didn't want to raise our kids in a culture, church culture that was so toxic toward the broader conversation of Christianity and just making it sound like, you know, this particular stream of reformed Christianity was right. And you had to be that otherwise you were just nothing. And it was, we just decided that we didn't want to be in that culture anymore. So we left and um, it was, it was a hard decision, but um, as I've been out of reformed culture for longer and longer, uh, I see more and more things about 
the culture, at least in the churches that we were in, in our area that um, just weren't healthy. (laughs) So I can't speak for all reformed churches everywhere. I don't know what's happening with people in Michigan, but um, just for us in our experience, um, it, it just was not a, a balanced or healthy or charitable environment. So, <coughs> all right. Um, I've heard people say that you can't get saved unless you stop doing certain things or make some commitment to change in order to be saved. I've never heard anybody say that, Annette. Um, so not really sure what to say about that. Uh, the church Catholic church adds works and doesn't deny it. Well, you have to kind of figure out how the Catholic church means it. And it's complicated. Uh, Catholic doctrine is complicated. So yeah. Um, let's see, man, just when she was getting to the point, sorry, Riley, (laughs) we'll try to, I'll try to wrangle her and we'll, we'll do a fuller answer and post it up on the CFBU page. So, uh, Shannon, thanks for answering my question. I still see the attitude or lack of evangelism. Reformed people are theology snobs. That's a good way of saying it. They are theology snobs. Um, there is probably a link where I spoke about it before, but I don't remember what show it was. It was a few months ago. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I, I, I And don't misunderstand, like, I'm not trying to disparage particular teachers Um, I refer people to reform teachers a lot because they do teach a lot about the Bible, but they can also have a culture of being snobbish. And I've just. The church didn't start with Martin Luther. It's not like there was the apostles and then Martin Luther and everything was corrupt in between. And that's kind of how it was taught to me when I was reformed. There was the apostles and then Augustine and then Luther. And we were kind of taught that pretty much everything in between was not really worth talking about. And um, I think that that is problematic on many levels. <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've just kind of migrated away from that culture and focus. So still respect a lot of reform teachers, a lot of good, good voices out there. But um, some aspects of the culture just aren't for me. So, all right. I've heard similar concern about reform friends not being open to conversation. Yeah, we'll just leave that there. Uh, I'm still in the reform church, but I understand what you're saying. Thank you for being gracious with me. <laughs> so it's a hard road. Uh, yeah, okay. I think we're, are, did we reach the end? Oh, we reached the end. Okay, that's good. Um. Okay, Susanna, I'm glad you wrote that. Uh, My friend Susanna says, I found that people can be well-versed in scripture, but not love. Okay, so this was an issue for me when I was reformed. Um, I'm really glad you posted that. Now, my friend Susanna is a, I can't remember, you're a Methodist or Episcopalian. But, um, and I think that for me, when I was reformed, I was absolutely consumed, yeah, with um, Orthodox, like, Orthodox with a small O theology. Like I wanted pure doctrine. That's what I wanted. But I didn't see, I had this blind spot of how it was affecting people. 
And you can get into a pursuit of the truth and a pursuit of the truth is good. Like we need to have a conversation about historic Christianity. I am all for that. I am for the gospel. I am for what Christians have historically believed. But as Monique would say, you don't want to serve a steak dinner on a trash can lid. <laughs> you know, you, you have to think about the other side of the coin too, that is just as much a part of Christianity, which is what we call orthopraxy or serving one another with love and humility and kindness. And that was just not something that I experienced in the Reformed tradition. The focus was so much on the, 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 Orthodox theology, um, you know, having pure theology that they could just kind of treat people any kind of way. And what I saw, if I'm really honest, is a lot of abuses in the culture. And I saw a lot of people get really injured in reformed culture. And I just kind of decided they didn't want to be part of that. And so my friend Susanna, I know that I know your heart because I know that that's been difficult for you because that that kind of pushed you and your journey into a more progressive stream of Christianity because people who were naming the name of Jesus and pursuing all this truth, then they use that as a cover story to sometimes treat people like crap. And that's not good either. So we have to find that way together of how do I have sound doctrine and how do I treat people with dignity and kindness and um, in, in engaging the heart and the mind. And, um, I think that that is the great quest of my life is how do I do that? And how do I point other people to do that too, is finding that balance of, or of both. Like, how do I advocate equally for both? So hopefully that helps. Okay. I think there it is. Okay. Oh, Drew says, what's the best way to witness to an atheist? Uh, I would say probably um, start a conversation about science and go at it through the record of nature first. Uh, you can go uh, interact with my friends at Reasons to Believe for some good approaches on that. Okay. We made it to the end. Sorry, Monique didn't make it with us, but hope you enjoyed the Ask Me Anything and um, that you will join us again next week for a normal show where we'll both be here. Uh, thank you so much for watching and for your kind words and your support. And we hope that the show blesses you each week as we put it together. Pray for us. Um, it's It's been a bit of a crazy few months for us. Uh, pray for Monique, pray for me, and pray for the Lord's uh, wisdom for us as we journey together in ministry. Thank you so much, friends. Good night. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.